This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey, welcome everyone again to another episode of what we're going to call the Meaty Minute, where our practitioner team is just going to talk about some hot topics in the carnivore community, give a little bit of insight, education, our stance, and then just share a lot about what we see clinically. So, not just our N equals one, which is super important, but also what we see in practice. And so, today's topic is one of the most Controversial topics about whether we should add in fruit and if fruit is nature's natural food that we should be also including in a carnivore diet. And if it's even the first carbohydrate we should be adding, we are not going to try to make this super chemistry bio heavy, but I cannot help but include some level of science. So I just am going to rattle off some things as to why I'm not the biggest fan of adding fruit first. We have done content in terms of repeat diets, pro metabolic. So we'll link to a lot of that in the show notes. We've done even、um, articles on fructose. So if you want to read further into the mechanistics, how the biochem works, please take a look at that. One of the first things I'll say is a lot of people will eat fruit. And then,、um, ladies, if you have an opinion, please stop me. But so a lot of things people will say is, Well, I eat fruit and my A1C or glucose looks better. And so I think my body can tolerate fruit. The thing is that most fruit or a lot of the fruit is more heavily fructose and not necessarily glucose. And so you're only getting a subset of the sugar that's being absorbed by the body. Have you guys seen any of this yourselves? I'm not seeing anybody that's sciencey. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay. No one wants to check those things while they're eating fruit. So I never. Okay. Okay. Wait, let me try to continue. Okay. So the first thing is that even if you're eating fruit and you feel like your blood glucose that you checked or your fructose, or I'm sorry, your CGM shows that your glucose isn't really going up much, isn't a big deal. You have to know that fructose is not the same sugar as glucose. One thing is that 
fructose is mostly absorbed by the liver. And there is some mechanisms or some enzymes that will stop some of the absorption of glucose. Whereas with fructose, I think it's with the GLUT2 receptor, but it will just absorb everything. And there's no stop. There's no insulin that is balancing that absorption. And so everything that you eat from a fructose perspective, which most fruit is fructose, will then just get absorbed. And eventually it will become absorbed through the liver and then converted through, I think it's lipolysis, but it becomes fat in your liver. Then we see the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which then will in turn become higher triglycerides in your system. It takes time for that to happen. So maybe when you're first adding a bunch of fruit, you may not notice a increase in triglycerides enough, but over time it can happen. And the other thing is we don't really test for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. We can see it in our liver enzymes such as ALT, AST, but it's not always the only way to know. The best way is doing like a liver biopsy, which we don't really recommend unless you're super sick or doing like an ultrasound to see if your liver is truly that fatty. I think there are misconceptions as to, okay, if I just see my blood work, um, if I just see my CGM, or if I just see my blood glucose, then it's okay that I'm eating fruit. But we're looking at two different things when we're looking at glucose versus fructose. The other thing that we just need to consider is in the uh, pre-1980s, there wasn't a whole lot of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease compared to now. And I know we can say, well, it's because we added more seed oil since then, or we added more high fructose corn syrup since then. But we're also making these fake fruits where it's like a, there's like cotton candy grapes now where the grapes are so big and they're extra sweet. And there's essentially more fructose because fructose is actually sweeter than glucose. And I think the percentage is 30% of the population now has some level of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And then of the obese and diabetic population, 70 to 90% have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Now, I know people are going to say, well, fruit is probably not the culprit of that. But if you're already part of that subset, and then you're trying to shift to carnivore in order to heal, it's probably not a good idea to be exacerbating that whole illness addition of fructose by adding more fruit or adding fruit in compensation of high fructose corn syrup or processed foods. I think the last thing is, again, we will increase our triglycerides. And then if we are naturally addicted to processed foods because it's the way that they're made that way, I don't think adding fruit will make that addiction less difficult. Maybe we don't crave an apple as much, but could eating three apples a day then want us desiring the apple pie one day? And it's just, at what point do we stop eating the fruits and the sugary foods or the sweet palate foods so that we can really start healing? I mean, a lot of our gut microbiome, they don't know the difference between high fructose corn syrup and fructose from fruits. And if you're feeding it, and let's say you're suffering from candida, you're still feeding those gut microbiomes. So then on a hard day, maybe you don't reach out for the fruit anymore and you reach out for the high fructose corn syrup, apple juice. So these are just lots of different things. I know I just went through a lot at once. When we add fruit, like we have to wonder why. And if it's a, well, I can't balance my electrolytes unless I eat fruit. 
But then we have to also realize that if we're just retaining more water in the body, then that's a band-aid. If we need to add fruit or we need to add carbs to have a higher retention of water, or we need to have droplets of stimulus of some type of sugar to keep energy, those are all band-aids. If other people can do carnivore strict meat only, then why do you need the carbs or the fruit to have that sustained energy? And there are so many studies that show that you don't need it to work out. You don't need it to lift heavy things. And if it's a water retention, I can't balance my electrolytes, then we can prove that it can be an ADH or anti-diuretic hormone or osmolality imbalance. And it's not a carb versus fat or protein thing. It's actually a hormone dysregulation. So that's all the science part of it. You know, I wanted to talk one with you, Cheryl, with your previous job and how you saw what fruit or carbs did. And maybe we can talk about that first, and then we can talk about the nutritional duty practice. Yeah, for sure. So just briefly, um, my former career before I crossed over into the nutrition space, um, I was a nuclear medicine technologist. And a large part of that field in general is doing PET scans, positronomous and tomography. And a lot of people have heard of them, right? They have family members or loved ones who have had to go for cancer staging. So the bottom line is the reason that it's a cancer staging test is that they're getting injected with a glucose analog. Sugar feeds cancer. So there's a couple of things that used to blow my mind when I was doing those tests. And one of them is that two days before the test, you're calling the patient and you're letting them know what they're allowed to eat the day before. And these conversations are priceless to say the least. You're letting them know that they can eat their regular breakfast the day before and they can eat their regular lunch. After lunch is when the change comes in. So for dinner, they're only allowed to have protein and non-starchy vegetables. And I would say at least half of the time, the response you get is, what does that mean? Do you normally have a protein and a vegetable and a starch on your plate at night? Is that normally what you do? And the general answer is sometimes yes. So it's like, okay, well, you'll have double protein and you know a vegetable and no starch. And it's like, well but what vegetables can I have? And it's it's very mind-blowing that people do not understand that there's any vegetables that even have starch or that they can't now go have a piece of fruit after dinner or they can't have ice cream after dinner. And a lot of times after you have these conversations, a lot of people say, I'm just not gonna eat dinner. I'm just not gonna eat. I can't, this is overwhelming to me. For one meal to cut out carbs and cut out sugar feels overwhelming to the general public who is going for a cancer screening test. And that to me is super, super powerful. It's also super powerful because we could tell when people didn't listen to what we said. Um, So the next day, we can't inject the patient if they have a blood sugar that is below 70 or above 200. Now, the below 70 is more concerning for our diabetic patients, Um, but it's the above 200 that is pretty scary. So I want to speak a couple things on that. Number one, that is a crazy fasting blood sugar, and we still saw it all the time. And number two, I just want to speak, this is a little off topic, but I want to speak on the power of movement and water for a second. I'm going to get a little foundational on you here, because if it is above 200, it's a very expensive injection, and it is for that person, and the half-life is very short, meaning that I can't now take that injection and use it in three hours on that same patient and say, well, maybe your blood sugar will go down in a little bit. It kind of needs to be used on that patient in a specific time frame. So what we would normally have them do is drink some water and go take a short walk. And I would say at least 80% of the time, you can get their blood sugar down to at least be able to inject them and get the test done. 
if you are taking someone who's living a sedentary lifestyle that struggles with blood sugar regulation, the power of water and movement is big. So if they, let's say they still were below 200 and we injected them for the test, but they didn't listen to what we said the day before. So they actually did have some fruit after dinner or they had carbs at dinner or they just ate the ice cream after dinner. We would see it all in their intestines. And and you would know, I mean, listen, not that you can't have intestinal cancer, but it looks very different, right? It's also not where you are probably looking for the cancer in that specific patient. The power of sugar feeding cancer, I mean, I saw it with my own two eyes, literally giving people injections of a glucose analog and cancer traveling to it. Or if you eat sugar, the injection traveling towards it. I can hear someone think that you just said it's a glucose analog fruit has if fruit has glucose and fructose and one thing i didn't say is that there's a polyol pathway which means that basically the body is very smart and if there's too much of one it can convert the glucose into fructose and i think it i don't i don't know if it's bidirectional but fructose will get stored as triglycerides but i would think that well if i eat just fruit which is mostly fructose Will that have an impact on this testing that you're doing that's mostly glucose? It still would. Yeah. It's still at the end of the day, it's going to feed cancer. And it's not what people want to hear. Um, we even have a lot of clients, and I think Caitlin can speak to this too, where they cling to the berries, right? It's like berries are low glycemic, or, you know, I'm only doing the Granny Smith apples. And it's like, but when you're doing them all day, you know, your your body is used to it. And I think you spoke on it before, Judy, when you said, is it going to eventually going to lead to the apple pie? Is the apple going to lead to the apple pie? And I think when eating two apples a day becomes your baseline and you've convinced yourself, I'm tolerating this and I feel good. Yes, you're going to be at the party eventually. I only had one apple today and there's apple pie here. I'm just going to have a little bit. And it's like, it it will. It's opening the doors. You know, especially if you're coming from any sort of addiction background or disordered eating background, it's it's a gateway, right? You're not going to achieve the same amount of healing that you would going full carnivore as you would if you ha- have the fruit in there, you know, and you have to give it a real chance, not a one week chance with no apples. And then that's what I've seen. It doesn't have to be forever. So, I mean, I was telling you guys on our team call today that I was super strict for three years where I wasn't even really using seasoning. But now if I have a little bit of sugar, even sugar, sugar, like white cane sugar, it doesn't really do much for me in terms of whether it feeds my addiction, whether I want to eat more junk food. My guess is my gut is a lot healthier. Now, granted, I use probiotics occasionally, but I mean, I don't, you know, feed the beast and eat sugar every day and see, let's see how far I can get with this. But if I have an occasional like bite of my kid's ice cream or something, it's not as bad as it used to be. Now, I don't generally like fruit anyway, so I don't really eat it. But I just think that when you're trying to heal, why would you remove all carbs, but let's just try to keep in the fruit because the fruit is natural. And let's just use all the justifications. And I know people like Dr. Mercola now is like pro this new fruit diet and stuff. But I just think if you need healing, or if you have, so I just said that fructose goes directly to the liver. There's no real stop gate to ever say, okay, no, this is too much fruit fructose. And now I'm going to protect the liver. No, it becomes a fatty liver. Then it gets into your bloodstream. And then in your bloodstream, it becomes triglycerides. So the fatty 
uh, floating fat in the blood. So if there's no stop gates for all of that, and if you suffer from that, why would you add a fruit, even if the fruit is healthier than a high fructose corn syrup, apple juice, why would you add something that facilitates everything I just brought up? Like the logic there doesn't make sense, especially if you have anything related to your liver. If you're insulin resistant, these things don't need insulin to cause damage. It's insulin independent. Whereas glucose has some receptors that insulin will protect. It it doesn't make sense to me because the average person that's doing carnivore have metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, and are trying to not be sicker than they already are. Now, if you're skinny, like maybe Dr. Mercola, I don't really know his health journey. (laughs) I don't know his health journey at all, actually. So maybe he can do a fruit. I don't know. But I just wonder like why, if something is not broken, why would you fix it unless something is broken? And maybe that's why Mercola is shifting. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know, Cheryl, you have more insight, but that, that would be my logical hat. I wear if for 20 years he was pro keto and it's been working. Why would you ever shift that unless something hasn't been working and you're not sharing it? I think, I think that's a very valid thing to say. I, I wonder what's going on behind the scenes there. And I, very surprised that he's shifting views so quickly and so abruptly like that, because I think that a large percentage of the the people that listen to him have a lot of what they're referring to now as type three diabetes. Right. So to put that information out there, when that, when the brain is so heavily involved in responding to sugar, I don't know, that's a, that's a slippery slope. Well, let's talk about it within our practice. So you both see the bulk of our initial clients. And then a lot of them are like, I tried the fruit, didn't work. Some people I've seen some initial consult questionnaires where they'll say, I started the fruit, because there's certain influencers that say it works so well. And then it's nature's natural food. And so they do it. And then fast forward three months, and they're on the standard American diet. What have you both seen in terms of fruit and is it helping? Is it hurting? What maybe some case studies? Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. I just had a call this morning and we were going over blood work. So while his liver enzymes were all fine, he was like, I do eat a lot of fruit. He's like, but I just kind of started the carnivore diet like a few months ago and then just started to include fruit. So I did let him know exactly what you said, that maybe your liver enzymes aren't going up now, but that doesn't mean that they won't hit a limit eventually. And he had said he was going to eventually stop the fruit because to him, the fruit was more, he was having it to subside that sugar craving. And he's like, eventually that's going to lead to me not having fruit in the house and eat something else. Or to keep thinking that like ice cream on the weekends is okay because like I can tolerate the fruit during the week or something like that. So all on his own he was like, I'm going to stop the fruit. I think it's just the best for my healing. He's like, if I want to do this all the way, then I should take out the fruit. And I think I'm just holding on to it for that sugar aspect. And that's what I see most people do. It's like, why bring in the fruit first and not the broccoli? It's like, you know, if you wanted the carb, why not go with one that's not going to trigger your sugar? It's like, do you have something 
food addiction, eating disorder type tendencies that may need healing. And that's why the fruit is sticking around as opposed to anything else in the diet um, won't touch herbs or plant extracts and supplements, but you will bring in the fruit. And it's, if you know your why and can speak to that very clearly, then, you know, maybe there's a reason that it can work for you. But if you're just doing it to, you know, fight the sugar cravings, eventually, like Charles is going to say, you're going to be at the party or you're going to be running out the door late one day and, you know, end up at 7-Eleven with like a coffee and a donut in your hand, something like that. I think the biggest reason people will say, well, I did the fruit is it's that natural, like this is nature's food. They want you to eat it. But whereas broccoli has glucosinolates and other anti-nutrients and therefore it's trying to, plants are trying to kill you, right? Like that's the narrative of all plants are why you're sick, which is probably not the whole reason. I also think that we have to be really realistic where our fruit is not what is in nature's like nature's true fruit is not as fructose rich as it is now, nor is it common or normal to eat like 10 fruits in a day and then go, cool, I'm not eating any anti-nutrient foods, but I'm eating all these fruits that are nature's fruit. And therefore I can eat a ton of it, but it's not true. I mean, we see so many people suffering from CFO, small intestinal fungal overgrowth and candida and these things. And maybe we could talk a little bit about candida, but the number one thing is it it doesn't matter. You don't have to even be carnivore, but a practitioner will say, remove all fruits even, and all carbohydrates that will feed that fungus that is, that has an overgrowth that's giving you like jock itch and vaginal itch and, and dandruff and lots of other things. And like skin irritations, because your microbiome is feeding that it's not just about anti-nutrients, like plants toxins are not just anti-nutrients. I think the biggest thing we see is like, it's clear that our clients are using it as band-aids, but they have the justification from other influencers that like, Hey, maybe it's the healthiest thing to add back. Yeah. I think that, you know, I think you, you touched it for sure. When you mentioned CFO and Candida, I think that a lot of the clients that come to us, right. It's, it's, there's already impaired digestion most of the time. That is, I would say almost every client we work with on some level is experiencing digestive discomfort. And when that's going on, there's most likely an immune challenge happening. And when I say that, I mean, bacteria, fungus, virus, parasite, um, we all kind of have them in our body, right? Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't be alive if we didn't have these microbes circulating around. It's more or less, is it irritating? Is it bogging down that person? Has it taken over? And I think that if you're really trying to heal the idea that you would take the risk on something just for potential flavor to curtail full healing to me seems crazy, but maybe it's an area of life that I don't struggle with the willpower in that area. Right. Cause it's like, if I'm going to do something and I want it to work, I'm going to check every box. If there's a possibility you have an immune challenge going on in your gut, or we've oftentimes, Caitlin, you can speak to this. We'll have people come to us and they're convinced they know I have parasites. I know I do. I know I have parasites. I get crazier on the full moon and I have all these symptoms I read about online and I follow this person on Instagram and I, I have the parasites. So it's like, okay, you have the parasites. Um, let's address it. So we want to, of course, we want to go all in carnivore. We're, we're always, that's always going to be a baseline for us when we have clients that are willing to go all in. Why would you want to, why would you want to though, keep the fruit in? You're already setting a baseline where it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to feed the immune challenge periodically. 
or every day, just just one little piece every day. But that's that's keeping it alive. That's giving it the ability to form a biofilm. That's giving it the strength to survive and bring in the friends, right? Sometimes the parasites don't hang out alone. Like Judy said, you don't have to do it forever. But for the healing time, commit, commit, ditch the fruit. Yeah, I could talk about my mom. So she was diabetic prior to being carnivore. She was on metformin forever. And recently she goes to a Korean church and Asians love giving each other fancy fruit boxes. And so (laughs) I had her do her blood work and her blood glucose has gone up. And I'm like, what are you eating? And the only thing she's added in. So she said, occasionally she'll add a little bit of rice at church, but generally speaking, it's the fruit. And so it's the fruit that has made her overall triglycerides go up a little bit. And then her overall blood sugar levels. And it's just, you cannot, I understand persimmons are healthy or you think they're healthy or apples, but you cannot be eating these fruits, especially because you have a history of diabetes for decades. She had, she wore CGM. And even though fruit is mostly fructose, or there's a lot of it, it's like 55, 60% fructose, you'll still see an increase in your glucose. Cause again, that polyol pathway, and you'll still see increases because of the glucose in it. She was shocked. We did an experiment in Costa Rica specifically where they had a sweet potato, they had fruit, and then they had like this small um, Costa Rican bread thingy. And they all raised the blood sugar the same because she was wearing a CGM. And they were shocked that the fruit would raise the blood sugar the same. And there was a huge difference with if they ate that in the beginning of the meal versus the end. It's really thinking about why do you need the fruit? And then be honest with yourself. And if it's one, like, I just want variety, I miss it. Well, then just think of this as a temporary elimination diet. If you're trying to heal X thing, maybe it's smarter and faster and more expeditious to just remove the fruit, remove the bandaid of no carbs, let the microbiome heal and reset without the fruit loving, sugar loving microbes, and then reset the gut and then see what you can add back safely. But then if it's also like, well, I just have more energy eating carbohydrates, especially fruit, then that's a bandaid. And if it's, I balance my electrolytes or I sleep better in the middle of the night because I add fruit or I eat fruit close to bed, then those are band-aids. And we see that in our practice where there are certain hormones that are imbalanced and sure you can use that as a band-aid temporarily, but if it was truly the fix, that means that everyone on the pro-metabolic diet should be healed, not healing, but healed. And if they're not hundred percent healed and they're like, you have to also do the sun, you have to also do cold plant, you have to also do that then it's clearly a band-aid and they're also looking for other modalities to help them heal. And then that is not root cause healing. And I will challenge that until we have new evidence, but in our practice, it has never been the fruit or a little bit of carbohydrates added that has fixed somebody to root cause healing. And has there been anybody where you're like, okay, fine. Yeah. I think you have to add carbs to heal. To heal? No. But I have definitely had clients who have felt so ill because they're in, you know, during surge treatment, if they have come to the conclusion that is the only Band-Aid that is getting them through the day with potentially bowel movements or sleep, you know, I am not in their shoes. And so for me to be able to say that it's not, you know, not okay is, would be not right. It's like when I interviewed with Dr. Kevin Stock a long time ago, he said, there are people in my, um, my group that use carbs as a bandaid because it helps them sleep. And if they're getting improved sleep, then maybe the net benefit is positive. And I was like, I totally concede there. Right. So if it helps you sleep, 
But the long term is you have to figure out what's causing you not to sleep because yes. the amount of carbs will eventually not work. Or if you're highly stressed in a moment of your time, maybe it won't work enough to get you sleeping. So then are you going to add double the carbs? You know, it's just use it as a band-aid. Totally find what works for you to get you that net benefit. But at a certain point, you have to find what is the root cause. And that is where we always strive for that because in 10 years time, will that fruit still work to get you that extra 30 minutes of sleep? And if it doesn't, then that's not the answer. And eventually the real reason you're hurting will rear itself without you realizing what it is still. It's a bandaid for sure with maybe sleep or depending on what their diet was, if they were coming from a carb heavy diet into a carnivore diet, then we can do that slow transition. Like maybe we just focus on taking out the processed carbs, leaving in some fruits, and then eventually weaning down as much as you can, as comfortably as you can. I'm not saying you have to go from zero to hundred in the same day. So do what you can in that journey to get yourself to, you know, determine, is this fruit a band-aid for me? Am I using it to cover up some other issue that I have? So you won't know until you are able to take it out and take it out and work on healing. If you need to add it back in, then you probably need to look a little bit further because it shouldn't be something that you need to have. If you want to have it after healing, that's one thing. If you need to have it, something else is going on. Another thing I find is that people will use it to avoid increasing their fat. If they're really struggling increasing their fat, then they're like, oh, I feel better with a little bit of carbs. I'm like, are you eating enough? Like fat and protein, it's usually no. Or they're they're using working out as an excuse to, you know, eat more fruits just because they want to. And it's like, I work out too and I don't eat fruit. I don't need to. So <laughs> I think you're that is a, that's an excuse. But if you're not fueling properly, of course the fruit's gonna feel better. No, I think Always. it's <laughs> I think it's good. So I mean, I hope we provided enough individualized questioning so that you can figure out do you want to add fruit? And you can change fruit with a certain carb. But it's really carnivore at its root cause healing is that it's all meat. That means it's just animal based foods and you use it to heal. And then, I mean, you could do it long term if you find the right macros and eat all the rainbow of meats. But beyond that, if you want to add back and you feel you're ready to, then that's your own individualized story. In order to do carnivore, but still leaving in some stuff, you're not giving the chance of carnivore to really do its magic. And I think that's where, you know, we see so much of that in our practice and that's why we wanted to do an episode on it. Let us know what you think in the comments. And if you have topics that you want us to share in our meeting minute, let us know, put it in the comments and yeah, while you're here, make sure to subscribe. Well, thank you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. 
At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.